The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon and welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community. Your host is Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. This hour is designed to inspire, inform, and to help you live better with cancer. Now, here's your host, Kim Tibaldo. Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Cancer, an internet radio show that focuses on informing and inspiring people to live well with cancer. I'm Kim Tebaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. The Wellness Community and Gilda's Club have united to become the Cancer Support Community, one of the largest providers of cancer support in the United States and around the world. Our services are offered at more than 100 locations worldwide and online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. Uh, so the other day I was doing my usual morning routine of catching up on the news and, and uh, happenings in the cancer sphere when a headline caught my eye. It said, cancer makes strange bedfellows. Uh, I read the opening sentence, quote, uh, depending on your political leanings, Rahm Emanuel is either a no-nonsense go-getter or Satan incarnate. (laughs) What what does Rahm Emanuel have to do with cancer? Uh, His brother, Dr. Zeke Emanuel, just spoke actually at the launch of our Cancer Policy Institute. He knows a lot about cancer, but Rahm, where was the article going? By sentence number four... So I, I, I was pretty hooked. Uh, the writer quoted Rahm Emanuel saying, you never let a serious crisis go to waste. And what I, be, what I mean by that, it's an opportunity to do things you think you could not do before. I knew right then and there that Dan Duffy, the blog's author, had some real wisdom to share and a sharp sense of humor to go with it. Uh, I was not uh, disappointed, and I've been a fan of Dan's blog uh, ever since. I'm really uh, excited to introduce you to our guest today, uh, Dan Duffy. He's an entertainment industry veteran and what he calls an accidental philanthropist. Uh, Dan has been working in film, television, and radio for almost 20 years. He makes documentaries, commercials, and short films for companies big and small around the world. Uh, Prior to that, Dan spent five years as an assistant producer, sports director, production manager, and on-air talent for the nationally syndicated Steve and DC radio show. Uh, He has won numerous awards in his career. He is a Telly Award winner, a seven-time Telly Award finalist, and an AIR uh, Achievement in Radio Award winner with two other nominations. In uh, 2003, Dan was diagnosed with stage 3 testicular cancer and was declared cancer-free seven months later. Uh, Dan wanted to change the way people looked at a cancer diagnosis after his own experience left him wondering about several questions that he was unable to have uh, answered during his fight. In 2010, he and his producing partner, Joe Farmer, founded The Half Fund with the mission of lifting the veil on cancer. He is also the author of a blog about cancer that appears in the Huffington Post. Dan is married and has two young sons. Uh, I want to welcome you to our show today, Dan. Uh, it is a pleasure to be here. Thank you. I don't know if I can even live up to that. I can't live up to that. I mean, you should just end the interview right now, and we're done. Bye-bye. That's pretty, it sounds pretty darn good. I think we've got people now on the edge of their seats waiting for this conversation. I know I'm excited about it. Um, 
I, uh, you know, we work with a lot of people here who go through cancer, and I've been trying to sort of guess or think about what uh, what your cancer questions were uh, that no one could answer through your cancer experience. Can you tell us about that? Well, there were a few. Uh, there were a few like physical ones that they they never really quite tell you about. For instance, um, they don't officially tell you at first that when you go through chemotherapy, you're going to lose probably more than not all of your white blood cells. So then I was like, okay, great. Well, what do I do now? And they're like, oh, well, you just take these shots of a drug called Neupogen. I'm like, okay, great. What are the side effects? Well, it may or may not cause bone pain. I'm like, well, what is it? You know, does it <laughs> not? You know, et cetera. But the physical ones are one thing. The ones that really get you, though, are the emotional ones. Um, and for instance, uh, I talk about like there's landmines the size of an NFL football field, like right in front of you and like 50 feet in front of you and you can't avoid it. You literally watch yourself walking down. You can, you start to feel smothered by the people around you, uh, that love you and just want to help you. And you're like, well, why do I feel smothered? And, and I'm feeling more. And then all of a sudden I'm starting to lash out and I'm realizing everything going on and I have no idea why. And if I don't know the why, then I'm not necessarily able to stop it. So, yep. so you end up uh, saying some really hurtful things from time to time, and you don't mean it, but it's literally just a defense mechanism in the sense of, look, I, I need to be left alone at this point. And, and, and really, that, that kind of starts at the beginning. Once you hear you have cancer, all of a sudden you feel like completely isolated and you have all these people around you that want to help you. And you're like, okay, this is great. You know, I just want to be loved. I want to be held you know, keep me warm, so to speak. So everybody yeah. loves loves on you, and it's wonderful. And then all of a sudden you realize that while the cancer treatment sucks, you're not dying. So then you start to say, wait, okay, I can start to do a little bit for myself. So you start to kind of push them away a little bit um, just to say, no, you know what, I think I can do this on my own. But it's like a bad relationship, you know, like when Either the guy or the girl says, you know, I think I want to do more stuff on my own. And then the other person, seeing the writing on the wall, starts to grip on tighter. And then the one person pushes harder. And that's, and that's what happens until finally there's just an explosion and a breakup. And thankfully, usually the people around you uh, that want to be around you for cancer are the ones that stick with you and the ones that love you and the ones that say, you know what, have your tantrum, get it over with, have your tantrum in peace, and then when you're done, come find me. So there's always that one part where you alienate everybody, and then you realize, oh, I'm alone, and I don't want to be alone anymore. And then you kind of, you sort of start to figure out your way back. But if you could see that coming, and yeah. you could avoid it, yeah, wouldn't that be a really good thing? Quite, quite, quite a gift. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, you, you know, Dan. I mean, I hear. You know, we hear a lot of folks talking about. Some of the things that you're describing through your experience, obviously every person's experience is unique, but certainly, you know, kind of that emotional roller coaster and, and uh, a whole range of emotions and, and certainly an impact on, you know, interpersonal relationships. Um, but, uh, you know, 13 million cancer survivors out there, most folks kind of, you know, either deal with it or don't deal with it, find the tools, find the resources, and then they uh, then they move on. But you've chose a, chosen a much different uh, path in, in terms of what the impact was um, uh, on you and what you've chosen to do about it, something much more, um, much more public. Can you, can you talk a little bit about what that experience led you to? Sure. Well, uh, when I was diagnosed, you have to know, I was a boy. I was a 29-year-old <laughs> boy. 
Um, and I, and I didn't want to go to, you know, a support group. I didn't want to do this. It, it was weird. I was never mad at God or anybody. I was mad at the cancer itself. Um, because it was causing like an uproarious amount of pain. So I will never forget the night before I started chemo. I'm like, you know what? Get your licks in now because as of tomorrow, you are so dead. And, and I, and, while I needed people around me, I kind of wanted to sort of do it on my own. But then as I realized, no, I can't do it on my own, I also started to take mental notes as if to say, you know, what could I have done differently? And then by the time I was done with cancer, I actually realized, you know what, I bet I'm not the only one like this. I bet there's a ton of people, especially the people that no one talks to regarding cancer. Like, if, I mean, if you think about it, um, there are certain cancers, and this is going to sound wrong, but it's, there's really no way to put it. Yeah. There are certain cancers that are sexier than others. Sure. sure. Breast cancer is, is a popular cancer to talk about because you, there are so many women go through it. You had an amazing advocate, you know, in the Susan G. Komen. I mean, they really, really brought it to the forefront. Of course, you know, you have people that go through like colorectal cancer. And of course, you know, God forbid anybody goes through cancer, but especially children. And you've got, you know, St. Jude's and you've got all these wonderful, amazing places. But honestly, right. the people that sort of fall through the cracks yeah. are people from, say, the age of 21 to 45. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and, we're, and we're the fastest growing segment of, of people who are diagnosed with cancer every year. And I didn't think anybody was talking to us. So I decided, you know what, why don't we come up with a way um, somehow, we didn't really know what to do, but we decided that, you know what, we could help people if we could just get in front of people and, and talk to them. Um, so what we decided to do was, I mean, originally, I, you know, being in film and, and video and all that stuff, I just decided to write a script. It was mm -hmm. a bit, bit of a cathartic thing, I guess, in a way. And, uh, and I just kind of wrote it out. And of course, it, uh, a first script is an awful script. And all of my friends are like, oh, really? <laughs> but uh, but uh, but a couple of them who's uh, who's you know I who I really respect said you know there's a couple of nuggets in here I would keep writing and mm -hmm. we ended up just rewriting and rewriting and rewriting until finally we just said you know what we could share this with the world and and I think people would get a kick out of it and we did want to make it different um, we wanted to make it funny we wanted to show the warts of it there's a lot of really funny things that happen in cancer. Um, some that you just never see coming, some to do with friends, some like, oh, God forbid. Okay, so the first time that, you know, I was told you, you may have to go bank sperm if you want to be a father because I had testicular cancer. This is before I was married, before I was even engaged. And, of course, you get that question, you know, do you want to have kids? And <laughs> you're, you know what? You're faced with your adulthood hood very, very quickly. And, and all of a sudden, you have to answer all these questions like, well, I don't know. I hadn't thought about becoming a father, but I guess if I did think about becoming a father, I should probably do something about it. And then the things that happen when you actually go through that experience, and you know, we, can, we can get into that in a little bit, but oh my gosh, there are just so many funny things. So we wanted to share that with the world. We wrote a script, and then it was like, okay, now what? You know, it's kind of, we, we totally put the cart before the horse, and, and then we, we kind of hit a bind and just to say, okay, well, we have something. Now what do we do? And, yeah. and we were, were kind of at a loss for a while. So, yeah. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, and, and, you know, you, 
it's funny. You, you, you come up with an answer before you come up with the questions. <laughs> like, and, and, uh, and we had come up with an answer, but we had failed to ask the right questions. But yeah. that, event- that eventually came. So, Dan, we're going we're gonna, to uh, drill down on, um, on the half fund and, um, and, and talk in a little bit more detail. We've got a couple minutes until our break here. Um, I know that you have a special relationship with the American Cancer Society. Can you talk about that for a minute? So what we decided to do was we did not have an. This is before the half fund was even born. We decided yeah. that we needed a name to help us, you know, maybe get this film made. So I talked with uh, my partner Joe Farmer, and the one people, the one group that we really wanted to go with, honestly, was the American Cancer Society because when I had cancer, uh, there was no Livestrong. So when right. I wanted my answers, I went to the ACS website, yes. and uh, and I called their local office and I said, "Hey, we're thinking about maybe making a film, maybe sharing some profits. Would you be interested in helping?" And the local office was like, "Well, we don't really do anything like that, but shoot us an email." So we shot them an email, and that was like at two o'clock at four thirty. The ACS calls us back, and I said, "Oh, hey, did you get our email?" She goes, "Oh no, we're going way better than that." Um, I read your email, thought it had merit, sent it to division. Which which is Midwest Regional, they thought it had merit. They sent it to National, and now Angela Hayes from National wants to talk to you. We literally cleared the entire bureaucracy of the American Cancer Society <laughs> in two and a half hours. Wow. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. It was crazy. It was, and then we figured, wait a second, maybe we're on to something. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Just the concept got that, that kind of attention and, uh, and feedback. We're, we're talking with Dan... Duffy today. Uh, Dan calls himself the accidental uh, philanthropist, and he has a, a blog with the Huffington Post uh, about his cancer experience and has founded a nonprofit, nonprofit called The Half Fund. We're going to drill down uh, a little bit more on The Half Fund. We're going to talk uh, about uh, Dan's blog. I've got a couple excerpts from the blog that I want to share uh, with our listeners. We're going to hear a little bit more uh, about Dan's story about The Half Fund and uh, all the good work that he is doing to, uh, uh, to lift the veil off of the uh, cancer experience in America. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're going to take a quick break, uh, but don't go away. We're going to be right back. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Cancer Support Community is proud to be a partner of Magnolia Meals at Home, a new pilot program that aims to help patients by providing nourishing meals to households affected by breast cancer so loved ones can spend more quality time together. This program is currently available in and around two pilot cities, Andover, Massachusetts and Woodcliffe Lake, New Jersey. Participants will receive one delivery of meals every month for up to six months when enrolled in the program. Each delivery includes up to seven meals designed to help meet the nutritional needs of people living with breast cancer and 10 meals for family members. This novel program is brought to you by the AZI Women's Oncology Program, Magnolia. Cancer Care, the Cancer Support Community, and Meals on Wheels Association of America. To find out if you or loved ones are eligible, visit online at www.magnoliamealsathome.com or call 617-733-5848. Why do people behave the way they do? The study of human behavior is one of the most interesting facets of life. Human behavior gets played out in a limitless number of ways. Now, there's a radio program that explains the why and the how of what we do. Human Behavior. 
What a Trip is hosted by Dr. Jonathan Brower and will include interesting guests as well as call interaction from people like you. Let's have fun with this together. Listen every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Health and Wellness. What's going on behind the scenes with your favorite Voice America show or host? For the latest news, visit the iRadio blog at iradioblog.com. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is being brought to you in part by Celgene and Azai. I'm Kim Tibaldo, and today we're talking to Dan Duffy, blogger for the Huffington Post and co-founder of The Half Fund not-for-profit with the mission of lifting the veil on cancer. Uh, I, I really admire Dan's ability to combine humor and poignancy. Uh, so you can understand just what I mean. I'm going to read an excerpt from, uh, from Dan's blog, if you'll allow me, Dan, called Letting uh, Caregivers Actually Care. Um, sure. And this is a quote directly from Dan's blog. Uh, it starts like this. It was the first real night of our honeymoon. Steph and I had just stepped off a water taxi onto a jetty just 50 steps away from our hotel in Venice. It was about 7 p.m., and we were excited to be in the most romantic city on Earth. We were also wrecked after traveling from St. Louis to New York LaGuardia, to New York JFK by taxi, to London Heathrow, to London Gatwick by bus, to Venice by plane, to Venice by boat. So as we got our bearings, I realized that we would have to walk over two sets of bridges, which are nothing more than outdoor staircases that traverse these little canals. We would have to lug both large suitcases as well as both small rollers plus two backpacks. No problem, I thought stupidly. So I attached each small roller to its corresponding life-size replica of the state of Rhode Island, and I started heaving them up the stairs. Stephanie said, please let me take the rollers. Not necessary, my love. I've got this. You know it's bad when an 86-year-old man stops and asks you if you need help. Stephanie was mortified. I was pouring uh, like a price-fister testing facility, and my angel, the sweetest woman I'd ever met in my life, told me in no uncertain terms, if you ever do this again, you can go... The next two words I can't mention here, though it would help if my manhood was a foot long and shaped like a boomerang. I learned a valuable lesson that day. I should have learned it two years prior while battling cancer. Uh, Dan's blog is at the Huffington Post. It's uh, HuffingtonPost.com slash Dan-Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y. Dan, you were diagnosed with cancer 10 years ago, but from your writing, it seems you're still learning from your cancer experience. Tell us about that story and tell us about some of the other uh, you know, le- lessons, lessons, that, uh, lessons that you've learned. And again, I, just, I, I, you know, I, love, I love the humor in your writing. It really is fantastic. You know, it's, well, first of all, I appreciate that very much. But secondly, um, the, reason, uh, the reason I keep learning is because uh, it's just that thing. I, I always figure out if, you're, uh, if you stop learning, you stop moving. And yeah. uh, and if you stop moving, you kind of die. So um, I'm I'm always looking for for things that sort of spark it. I don't know if you've ever seen uh, the TV show House when it was on. It was an amazing show. But yeah. uh, House and Wilson would always talk, and Wilson would always say just one thing, and something would trigger in House, and his head would just kind of cock sideways. And after a while, you knew what was going on. They're like, oh, yep, you figured it out. And and like the entire 
my entire life is sort of like that in the sense of I'm I'm always learning. I'm always learning what's important, um, and and it's not it's not anything I'm trying to do. The only thing I do is I open my eyes and I open my ears and I open my heart. And um, and I see I, I mean people all the time who are just way stronger than I will ever ever be. Um, for instance, uh, over the last few weeks, I, I met a lady named Deb, and uh, Deb was dying of cancer, and uh, she had maybe maybe a month left when I heard about her, and uh, a friend of mine named Richard called me and he goes, hey she's going to die is and she wants to record you know like a goodbye to her daughter you know is there any way i could borrow your equipment i'm like do you want me there and he goes well i wasn't going to ask but yeah so <laughs> so i ended up uh we ended up going over and and i met deb and the first thing i saw was a uh, a bright pink christmas tree in the middle of August, and you know, I'm thinking two things: either she's kind of off her rocker, um, <laughs> celebrating Christmas this early, or she's extremely lazy because she hasn't <laughs> taken the tree down in nine months. And it turns out that she knew exactly what was going on, and her daughter had asked her mom, "Do you think you're going to make it to my birthday?" And uh, and she said no. And then she said, "Do you think you're going to make it to Christmas?" And she said, "You know what? We can make it to Christmas, absolutely." If we have Christmas tomorrow, and that's mm-hmm. exact, and that's exactly what they did, and they had Christmas. They had a last Christmas together. They had a last trip to Disney together, and uh, and and it was amazing. I mean, this woman had such unbelievable guts, and 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 honestly, the people who were just as strong were the women around her. Yeah, she she had friends from high school um, who were with her every step of the way on this journey. And you know what? It is a journey. Whether you're going through it and you have a good idea you're going to survive or whether you're going to die and you know you're going to die, it is a journey. And nobody walks that journey alone. And these women were just were just with her. And then Deb ended up dying. We were able to record the goodbye. We were able to edit it together. Um, we wrote a blog about it that actually ended up on the Huffington Post uh, a week ago. Um, and not only that, but I'm actually giving a TED Talk in October, and I was right in the middle of editing a really somber part, and I was in my office sobbing. And all of a sudden, my phone rang, and it's uh, it's my coach from the TED Talk, and I'm like, oh, man, I haven't talked to him in a week. I'm going to have to take this. And I pick up the phone. I'm like, hello? <laughs> I was in bad shape. I was in horrendous shape. And uh, and his name's Jerry. And he goes, "Damn, what's wrong?" And I told him, and I just exploded. And in just three minutes, I told him everything, and I didn't give him like a, a word in edgewise. And there's like thirty seconds of dead air, and I'm going, "What? Just say something." He goes, "Oh man, that's got to end the talk. That's got it. That's you have to finish the talk with that." Mm-hmm. So so literally, I mean, Deb has affected lives. One of the things that really, really, um, that hit me hard. And if anybody listens to this, I'd be willing to bet a few people that hear this will never look at a penny on the street the same way again. The last 50 seconds of what Deb recorded to her daughter, it was like one of those last, you know, stream of consciousness things. And she said, and, and Abby, I am going to be here with you. Um, I'm going to be here. There's going to be signs. Look all around. Don't forget pennies from heaven. Every time uh, you look on the ground and you see a penny, I've put it there for you. And oh, and and in the room there was a couple of Deb's friends, and there was myself and my friend Richard, and you could have heard a pin drop. 
And, and just and in that just that sentence right there, I've never looked at a penny the same way again. I mean, and it's very funny. My friend Richard actually got got in a little fender bender five days later. And as he's talking to the cop, he looks down and there's a penny on the ground. <laughs> and he smiles and he just silently says to himself, "Hi, Deb. Yeah, I'm in trouble again." <laughs> so, um, but. But no, I mean, like we we wrote about that, and uh, and the Huffington Post ran with it, and it ended up getting you know almost nine hundred likes. I mean, and and that's that's just on the site. That's not even including how many times it was shared with other people. Um, and and is it is it Dan? Is it moments like that that really inspire you? I mean, how do you pick your how do you pick your topics? What drives you in terms of what you you know what you write about? Is it those really you know kind of in the moment experiences that that, that drive what you write about? It is. It's exactly it. It's exact. It's it's life. I mean, I yeah. very rarely. I think maybe one time have I actually sat down and said, "Okay, I really want to write about something." And thankfully, I haven't had any writer's block, um, which I know is eventually going to happen, um, but I haven't had it yet. And and it is. It's just moments in life that that you just kind of don't see coming, or maybe kind of. See him from a different perspective. Like uh, another instance, same friend. Richard calls me over, uh, calls me the other night, and says, "Hey, I've got a friend whose dad just died of cancer a year and a half ago, and his mom has got six weeks to live, and we are moving furniture around because they're bringing her hospice bed home. Is there any way you'd come over and just say hello to him?" And I'm like, uh, "Okay, you know, sure. You know, I don't know what I can do, but sure." So I can't. So I walked. So I went over there. And I ended up seeing a couple of friends of mine, and, and it didn't get, like, unbelievably deep. Um, it was, you know, there's the whole thing, like, what you shouldn't say to a cancer patient or, you know, a survivor or, or anything, uh, or especially someone going through it. But I'm actually a fan of the words, I'm sorry, especially if it's heartfelt. Because yeah. if you just say to someone, you know, I, there's nothing else I can say, but I'm sorry you're going through this. Honestly, most people who are going through that, are very appreciative of it. So yeah. I, I, t- I told this this gentleman, I'm sorry if there's anything I can do, and I left him my number, and I'm walking outside, and my friend Richard's out there, and he goes, oh, man, you should have been here earlier. I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, oh, well, you know, all the guys are standing around, and, and you know, all of a sudden this guy just starts talking about his mom, and, and the mood got really, really somber, and, and none of the guys knew what to do, and then one of them goes, Hey, did you see who the Rams are playing this weekend? And of course, you know, just totally, <laughs> totally broke the ice. You know, like they, like they didn't want to face it. And that, I, I mean, it, it, it bore a blog. The second I saw that, I just started giggling to myself because I also remember Deb's friends and how, you know, like embracing they were of the situation. The sense of, you know, what we're going to be here, and we're going to feel, and we're going to, we're going to live our last moments with our friend, and we're going to, we're going to hold on to everything. And and guys are polar opposite. Like, boy, if I mean, if there's like any quiver or anything in the lips of any guy, like someone is going to break the ice <laughs> because because guys just have this idiocy. Where they say, okay, we cannot be, we can't be emotional, we can't be this, we can't be that, and 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 quite frankly, honestly, I think to live your life to the fullest, you got to be naked, in the sense of you've got to just live it. If you are sad, it's okay to be sad. You know, it's like the whole thing. I'm 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 sitting in my office and thank you know, as a boy, I'm saying thank God it's a windowless office, but I'm sitting in my office editing this thing for Deb, and I'm hitting that pennies from heaven, and I am. Sobbing, I'm yeah, just yeah. sobbing. You you've got to you've got to allow yourself to feel. 
You've got to allow yourself to see and hear and feel. And as long as you do that, regardless of the outcome, I think yeah. you're going to be okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I get you, 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 you might be related to the men in my family because the men in my family are very emotional. So I guess <laughs> I think they didn't, they didn't get that tough guy gene. They didn't get that tough guy gene. So we, we've always been uh, pretty open, open about things in our, in our family, which is great. Uh, we're talking to Dan Duffy today uh, about his experience with cancer, about his blog uh, at the Huffington Post, and we're going to talk a little bit about the not-for-profit that he uh, started as another sort of expression and extension uh, of his cancer experience. This is frankly speaking about cancer. We're going to take a quick break. Don't go away. We will be right back. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Find out about new shows, featured guests, and what's up this week. Find us on Facebook by searching keyword Voice America. Cancer. It's a lonely word. Terms I don't understand, choices I never thought I'd have to make. But there is hope and help. Support from cancer survivors. Links to research and clinical trials. Help with finances and access to care. All behind you at Breakaway from Cancer, created by Amgen to empower cancer patients. The cancer support community is proud to be a partner of Breakaway from Cancer. Have you figured out what's not working in your sex life? Could you use a little help? Join your host, Tamaran, for Let's Figure It Out Intimately. Tamaran has had both highs and lows in her sex life. She uses her experiences to teach you some basic techniques on how to create more fun, intimacy, and pleasure. Her guests also come from the sexual health and wellness industry. And together, Tamaran and her guests will help you get the sex life you've always longed for. Let's Figure It Out Intimately airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Genentech and Morphotech. I'm Kim Tibaldo. Today I'm joined by Dan Duffy, a veteran of film, television, and radio. Dan also spent five years as an assistant producer, sports director, production manager, and on-air talent for the National League syndicated Steve and DC radio show. Um, you know, Dan, if it's all right, I just want to share a little bit more of your writing because I really want to whet people's appetite and <laughs> sure. uh, and get them to uh, uh, and get them to check out the blog. And there's so much of your writing that's uh, uh, that struck me and has stuck with me uh, uh, since I read it. Um, uh, here's a quote uh, from Dan. I was mad at the cancer itself. This thing was a living, breathing entity that had basically moved into my studio apartment one day and started throwing my crap in the street every day since until it had the chance to boot me out for good. I've said before the cancer was my bully, only this time I was not going to take it lying down. Being mad at the disease made all the sense in the world to me. Being mad at God didn't, because in my own mind, God does nothing 
on a whim. I don't think God wakes up on a daily basis and says, Moses, could you bring me the list of people whose lives, whose lives I'm going to ruin today? And, oh, a skinny soy latte. Thanks, Chief. <laughs> I, think, I think God uses everyone and everything with a plan, and not a single damn one of us understands the vast majority of it. Yes, it's in those moments of utter clarity when life truly reveals itself. These are the moments when you not only see a plan unfolding, but the plan envelops you in a way that you understand before it even happens. They are more than light bulb moments. They're lightning bolt moments, those that send electric shocks throughout your body. Uh, you know, Dan, you, um, you use sort of this combination of, of humor uh, <laughs> and emotion in your writing um, that, uh, that I think is really, you know, really, really powerful. And we were talking, early, you know, in the, uh, in the earlier segment about, um, you know, how you have to find those connections, how you have to find your way to face this disease. So two, two things I want to ask you. Number one, is your writing a reflection of, of just kind of who you are as a guy? Um, you know, is it that that sort of combination of love and uh, love and humor, or and or how much of what we see and experience in your writing was sort of formed by your cancer experience? Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should be talking to your wife with that question. But. <laughs> okay, um, I'll answer the first part first. Um, I'm a goof. <laughs> like I, I love my life. Like I'm, I, and I, and I don't. You know, I'm sure people look at me and think, you know, isn't it just suck being so happy all the time? And, and I'm not happy all the time. I'm not going to lie. I mean, like there's we we have our trials, like you can't imagine. And I have a seven and a five year old boys, you know, who I I love more than life itself and and um they teach me humility and and patience and not you know I'm not always very good at the patience part but but I get there but deep down I'm a happy guy um and I do believe everything happens for a reason and there's something really pretty freeing about that um and it's not that I have, you know, it's not that I, I give myself over to life. I mean, I believe in, in you know, working my butt off and, and going after the things that, I, that are really, really important to me. But by yeah. the same token, I also believe that, you know what, it is part of a plan and you don't always realize it or recognize it. And sometimes it takes years. Like sometimes you go through something so, you know, bad or horrific that should be a life-changing moment and it just isn't. Um, But uh, at the time, but then all of a sudden, you know, years later, without you even, you know, thinking about it or anything else, something else will happen to you that will literally harken back to that original thing. And you're like, oh, so that's what that means. So I, I don't believe... I, I really don't believe in chance, and I know some people do, and to each their own. Um, you know, and I know, like for instance, some people don't believe in God, and to each their own. And do I yeah. take do I take a risk? Sure, but you know, it's it's like I said before, you have got to be naked. What you're reading is what you get. Yeah. Um, there there are no errors about me. There's no um, there's no hidden agenda. Um, I'm not looking for for anything. I, I don't have ulterior motives. 
um, what you're reading is me. And like when you read something that, you know, like where there's a, it's tinged with anger, it's because I was angry. If you, you know, read something that, that has humor to it, it's because it's funny. Like one of the funniest things, for instance, that happened to me during cancer, I will never forget. See, on day nine, when you are going through chemotherapy, you still have all your hair. See, I mean, it's, it's a misnomer that you lose your hair instantaneously. So day nine, I still have all my hair. Nothing's loose. Everything feels great. And you actually lie to yourself and think, oh, man, I got this beat. I'm keeping my hair. And then you wake up on day 10, and uh, it looks like a small gorilla was sleeping in your bed with you. I mean, there's <laughs> hair all over the place. And, the, and your head is really itchy, so now you know it's coming out. And then, oh, my God, there's a pile in the drain. And what I didn't know was, like, there was a pile in the drain. I was so mad. I just, you know, I, I got out of the shower at the end and, and you know, and, and got dressed really quick. And, and I was actually staying with my parents at the time. Um, uh, and I, I ran downstairs and, like, Mom, I'm getting out of here and, you know, kissing a hug goodbye and I'm out the door. The woman went back up and literally caught the hair out of the drain. Because um, Man, it was like keeping like a lock of hair from a baby. I mean, it was right. hilarious because who knew she didn't know what was going to happen. This may be the last hair I ever have. I could have died for all she knew. Yeah. Um, so, uh, yeah. but but I'll never forget. So I went to I went to get my head shaved um, because like a four year old, you try to keep any semblance of control in a very uncontrollable situation. So cancer's taking my hair. No, I'm going to take my hair. That's like a four-year-old saying, I'm taking my ball and going home if I can't play the way I play. I mean, we're really kind of stupid to do it, but, you know, at the time, it feels great. So I went and, uh, and shaved my head, and then I went and picked up my friend Chris for lunch. Uh, and I was thinking to myself, oh, man, I hope he doesn't freak out. I hope this doesn't mess him up. He's only ever known me with hair. And, and he gets into my car, and he, he looks at me, and he goes, Dan, you look like the tip of my, and then he brought up the phallus. <laughs> I mean, what do you say to that? Like, get out of the car. I mean, seriously, like, the, the, the hard part is finding the funny as yeah. it's happening. That, but, you that's know, really tough. It's interesting, Dan. You know, one of the things you said is that you're, you know, you're kind of a goofy guy, and so that, you know, comes through in some of your writing. I remember one of our social workers at one of our centers, you know, once said to me that the person who you are is the person you will be with cancer, but the cancer may just, you know, sort of uh, uh, make you a little bit more of who you are. Um, but you know, it's why we, you know, it's why we don't tell people, you know, have a positive attitude because some people just aren't positive, and just, you know, because they suddenly have cancer doesn't mean they're suddenly to, you know, be able to find a, you know, a positive attitude. They always say, look, if you're a goofy guy, you're going to be a goofy guy with cancer. If you're, you know, somebody who's, uh, you know, sort of a downer, you're going to be a downer with cancer. And that, uh, you know, that, that you're, you know, you know, who you are does not change um, just because of the cancer experience. And you, you may sort of maybe think of that. Um, Dan, I want to get to where we're, um, we're, we've got two or three minutes here to, uh, until our, our next break. But um, I, I know that your uh, cancer diagnosis wasn't your your first sort of, you know, difficult or let's say near-death uh, experience. I know you had another experience in, in 1996 that was pretty scary. Can you tell us about that and how you sort of compared the two experiences? Sure. Uh, okay, so it was 1996, and I was working for the radio show, and I was doing sports, and it was a Monday night football, and, and I had learned very early on in my radio career that waking up at 3.30 every morning, if you even have one beer the night before, there's an issue. So I've been drinking 
Minnesota the entire night, and I'm driving home, and I'm doing 60 miles an hour. I'm in the fast lane on Interstate 70, and I'm just about to pass a, a tractor trailer that is in the lane next to me when all of a sudden I hear this just explosion of brakes behind me. And I look in my rearview mirror and, and the lights of the headlights of the car behind me just got huge really quick. And I was like, Oh, this is going to hurt. So I held onto the car and I got hit. Uh, and it sent the, it sent the car into a spin. The cops actually said that the car behind me had slowed down to about 105 before he hit me. Oh, God. Um, so he sent the Jeep into the flip wall the Jeep started flipping. Um, for lack of a better term, I was actually pulled out by my wrists, and I'm flying through the air backwards, my back facing the ground. Um, I'm watching my Jeep flip at the same time, and right before I hit the ground, a voice pops into my head. It said, Dan, keep your head up. So I planted my chin on my chest, and that's when my shoulder blades hit the ground at 60 miles an hour, and I skipped like a rock across a lake. And the only thing wrong with me, I, I lay there, and I'm like, oh, my God, what the hell happened? And then I stood up, and I start walking wow. to the car. <laughs> a guy who worked with me named Tim, who was well into his pores, looked at me. Like, he stopped his car. He looked at me, and then he went and got down on all fours and looked in the Jeep because he seriously thought he just looked at my ghost. Um, oh my he, he was God. convinced he was going to see a body. And the only thing wrong with me was I had a partially dislocated hip. They had to pick a little concrete out of my shoulder, and I had a slight concussion. That's it. Wow. Um, so the problem was everything happened so fast, and the recovery happened so fast that by the time I looked at the hindsight, I was like, oh, there really isn't any hindsight. You know, I just survived. And, yeah. and, if, and if I thought I was, you know... You know, like a, a blessed person in the fact that, you know, we all, we all think we're invincible. Now I felt I wasn't just invincible, I was indestructible. But, mm-hmm. then, but then when I heard the words, you have cancer, like six years later, yeah. one, of the, one of the first things that popped into my head was that Jeep accident. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I remember looking up going, all right, I think you got my attention now. Yeah, yeah. And so, so that 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 accident had really had the potential to bring you down, but it was really the cancer that was that was trying to take you down. Exactly, exactly. Um, and maybe and maybe I had the accident, and by the same token of, you know, you are not indestructible. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's something worse coming. Yeah. So yeah. so so yeah. keep your so keep your eyes open. Your eyes open. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. We're talking to uh, uh, Dan Duffy, who's a cancer survivor, a blogger, and an accidental uh, philanthropist. Um, Dan, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I hope folks will um, will stay with us as we move towards the end of the show because I do really want to talk about the Half Fund, um, uh, what motivated you to found that, what the fund uh, is about, and uh, what you guys do. I know you founded that with your, uh, with your buddy Joe Farmer, and we want to talk a little bit about that after the break. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Don't go away. We're going to be right back. Find out which guests are being featured this week. Read our network press releases and read the blog posts from your favorite hosts. Go to iradioblog.com today. Powered by the Voice America Talk Radio Network. 
Effective cancer treatment requires more than just medication or surgery. For the country's 12 million cancer survivors and their loved ones, the social and emotional challenges of adapting to life with cancer are ongoing. How to handle co-workers' questions, how to get comfortable with new physical realities, how to reassure worried family members, or explain to friends your priorities have changed. The Cancer Support Community is ready to help by providing free counseling, education, and hope for survivors and their caregivers. Whether online or at over 100 locations around the world, the Cancer Support Community is ready to offer the support you need to live a better life with cancer. For more information on support groups, publications, nutrition, exercise programs, and more, call 1-888-793-9355 or visit us online at www.cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. The Cancer Support Community, a global network of education and hope. Make the most of your beautiful life. Listen to Ageless Living with Dr. Tong Lee and co-host Kurt Wilhelm to gain tips on how to live healthier and happier, alleviate suffering, prevent disease, become more beautiful in body, mind, and fashion, and find peace, balance, and success in your life. Are you aware that every 3,500 calories that you eat above what you burn will put a pound of fat on your body? And running one mile only burns 200 calories? So portion size does matter, and migraines do have a cure. What is it? You'll have to tune in Tuesdays at 3 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Health and Wellness. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer with the Cancer Support Community, an inspirational program offering the resources you need to live a better life with cancer. Now here's your host, Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Cancer Support Community. You're listening to Frankly Speaking About Cancer. Today's episode is brought to you in part by Millennium and Amgen. I'm Kim Tebaldo. Today we're talking uh, with Dan Duffy about his mission to, quote, lift the veil off cancer. Dan is an award-winning entertainment veteran, having worked in film, television, and radio for almost 20 years. Prior to this, Dan spent five years as an assistant producer, sports director, production manager, and on-air talent for the nationally syndicated Steve and DC radio show. Uh, Dan is also the author of a blog on the Huffington Post and co-founder of The Half Fund, a not-for-profit dedicated to spreading cancer education and awareness through the financing of commercially viable mass media appeal projects. These may include film, books, television shows, music, and will help uh, to educate people about the realities of a cancer diagnosis and the treatments that follow. Dan is married and has two uh, young sons. Uh, Dan, on the website for the Half Fund, it says, as the world of medicine continues to work towards a cure, we are left with the battle that follows hearing this earth-shattering phrase. But there are three more words that we offer to help those in their fight. Love, art, life. Tell us about the Half Fund. Well, the Half Fund was started as a way to share what we had learned and potentially what others had learned uh, about cancer and a cancer diagnosis. The Half Fund is not trying to cure cancer. Um, There are so many unbelievably 
amazing organizations uh, that are that are putting dollars towards research and stuff. And that's not what we're doing uh, because research research can get rid of the disease. But the problem is is that we're not diseases; we're people. So what we try to do is we try to help people, and we try to do that uh, through the arts. Um, and it was funny. The, a person that put it really, really well was uh, director Kevin Smith. Uh, right when he first started his Internet radio show, uh, we decided to actually buy some time on his radio show for he mm-hmm. and his wife to do a commercial. And uh, they ended up doing the commercial. And we gave them all the bullet points, and it was, you know, we gave them the first – 10 points. They got through five and, and all of a sudden his wife's like, this is amazing. And, and, they're, and they're talking about it and they're, they're really, really getting into it. And Kevin said, you know what, man, this is a spoonful of sugar. Helps the medicine go down. And at that moment, I'm like, you know what? He's absolutely right. Um, because really it is educational, but it's supposed to be fun educational. We're not trying to beat people over the head. We're trying to get them to actually kind of discover it um, not by, you know, everything that we put in front of them, but to actually kind of really sort of figure it out in their hearts and in their minds as well. So the way the half fund works, it's actually very simple. We're in the process of raising the funds for our first project, and that is the feature film that we wrote called Half. And what we do is when we make, we raise the funds and we make the film, uh, the American Cancer Society, who's our charitable partner, helps us to market the films, and we're going to put them in theaters around the country for a limited release. Um, and then what happens is once uh, we make all of the, the money on the film through a the- theatrical release or through sales, um, we take all of our net profits and split them in half. Half is going to go to the American Cancer Society, and half comes back to the Half Fund Trust, where we give it away to other artists. But the reason why we say commercially viable projects is yeah. because um, because artists who get money from us yeah. have to have to agree to split their profits in half. Half with any cancer charity, legitimate cancer charity of their choice, and then half coming back to us where we give it away again. It's literally a self-regenerating fund. So it's like a pay-it-forward model. Exactly, exactly. And we were the, uh, we, it was very funny. We met with a lawyer uh, named Joanne Daroff, and uh, we, she was very surly at first, and she said, why am I talking to you? And, and of course, Joe and I are just quaking, and we're talking about what we want to do. And at minute three, she cracked her first smile, and we both like, all right, we got her. So, uh, and she helped us with our, with our not-for-profit status with the IRS, and she said, you know what, I think you got a really good thing here. The problem is no one's ever done it before, so be prepared to ask a lot of questions or answer a lot of questions the IRS is going to have for you, um, but, you know, good luck. So we tried to think of every question we had, uh, the IRS could have. We answered it in the application. We sent it off, and nine months later, we got the congratulations. The Internal Revenue Service never asked us a single question, and, wow. and we are the first of its kind to ever have that. And so you co-founded the Half Fund with your producing partner, Joe uh, Joe Farmer, what drew you guys together on this project? Uh, well, Joe and I had actually worked on a film. He had produced a film here in St. Louis that a friend of ours uh, had directed named Say Goodnight. And um, I had met Joe through that. Um, both of Joe's parents have actually been through cancer. Um, he's lost some relatives to cancer, as, as I have lost a lot of relatives to cancer as well. So cancer has really kind of touched us both. And when I went to Joe and I said, hey, you know, what do you think of this? Would you like to be part of it? He did not hesitate in the least. He said, absolutely, would love to. So how do you guys select the projects that will be supported? 
well, we have an amazing board. We have five people on our board, and when we do a uh, when we have a request for a proposal, it will all be about if it's possible to first of all to to get it done. I mean, mm-hmm. it, it has to be, you know, it has to be viable. Uh, number two, the commercial capabilities. But number three, and probably this is really the most important for me personally, mm-hmm. uh, like we, we, we have like the financial folks who are looking at it going, okay, here's the viability of this. But for me, I, I want to be inspired. Like I, I, I want to see cancer like that, like how I've never seen it before. And, yeah. how, and something that touches my heart and my mind, it's kind of like Monty Python. When the guys from Monty Python were writing, they never tried to make make the audience laugh. They try to make each other laugh. And if they could make each other laugh, then they trusted it. If something, you know, like speaks to our cores, then that's really kind of good enough for us. Okay, so I'm, I'm feeling like, I'm feeling a little bit like, like Shark Tank meets Field of Dreams. Yeah, that's exactly it. Okay. <laughs> that's a really good way of putting it. <laughs> Fantastic. We're getting uh, we're getting towards the end of our show, which I hate because we're having such a good conversation. Um, in one of your blogs, Dan, you wrote, uh, "In my world, cancer never wins." Is that what uh, what drives you to keep doing this work? You know what? Um, yeah, like cancer can take your body, um, but I don't think it ever has the physical power to take your soul. Like cancer took Deb two weeks ago, um, but Deb. Mm. Deb lives on. Like yeah. uh, my, fr- my friend Deb, who, who, uh, who ended up dying of cancer, but she ended up telling her, her child, you know, every time you see a penny on the ground, you know, that's me looking out for you. And now every time I see a penny, like I see Deb. Her soul is still so completely strong in me. It's, it's strong in everybody she ever affected. So, no, you know what? Cancer may have taken her body, but cancer absolutely lost. I'm not, uh, I, I'm not saying it's not possible for cancer to right. take your soul, but you know yeah. what? It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. T- uh, take one minute to tell us about your wife and your two sons. <laughs> okay. I will, uh, first of all, we have two little redhead boys, Sam and Ben. They are seven and five, and, and they are just balls of fun. I mean, they're amazing. I'll give you a quick little story about my wife. I had met my wife three and a half months before I got diagnosed. Her name is Stephanie, and, uh, and she was in pharmacy school at the time. And what happened was uh, I found a lump. I went to a doc in the box, and, and within the next five days, they found a massive tumor the size of a cantaloupe in my abdomen. Mm. And, and I called Stephanie at the time, and um, I said, they think it's lymphoma. Um, and of course, there was silence. And I said, if you don't want to be here for this, I will understand. Yeah. And, and she said, no, we're going to fight this every step of the way together. And, uh, mm-hmm. and I asked her to marry me 10 days later, and I started chemo the day after that. Wow. Wow. Amazing, amazing story. She is amazing. Well, you can tell your, uh, tell your two sons that the, uh, that the woman who interviewed you today is also a fellow ginger. So, uh... Oh, nice. <laughs> Not, oh, and speaking of miracles, those two boys were born the natural way. Like, wow. I mean, I did not have to, I, I had banked, but I didn't have to yeah. use it. And it was didn't great. Have, you didn't have to use the, uh, the, the spermsicles, I've call, heard them called. No, and I, it was so <laughs> great. I walked in and I'm like, you know what? I don't think I'll be rebanking with you. And I walked out with <laughs> a big smile on my face. It was awesome. It's like a whole different kind of banking commercial, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. At home banking? Yeah. 
Well, Dan, we really appreciate you coming on to the show uh, today and sharing your story. I want to encourage folks to check out Dan's blog at uh, HuffingtonPost.com slash forward slash Dan dash Duffy, D-U-F-F-Y. And I also encourage you to visit the Half Fund, the Foundation's website. It's The Half Fund, so T-H-E-H-A-L-F-F-U-N-D dot org. Uh, It's been my pleasure uh, having you join us today for Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I just want to remind folks that at the Cancer Support Community, we have a whole host of uh, in-person, online, telephonic support, free support for people with all cancers at all stages of their disease and for their family members and loved ones uh, as well. You can visit us at cancersupportcommunity.org, or you can call our helpline and talk to one of our uh, trained counselors at 888-793-9355, cancersupportcommunity.org. We'd love to hear from you, and we'd love to help support you through your cancer journey. This is Frankly Speaking About Cancer. I'm Kim Thibault. I want to thank you for joining us today. And until next time, be well, do well, Live well. Thank you for joining us for Frankly Speaking About Cancer with your host, Kim Tibaldo. We're here for you every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. In the meantime, stay connected online at cancersupportcommunity.org. That's cancersupportcommunity.org. again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the voice america health and wellness channel for more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest please visit voiceamericahealth.com the voice america talk radio network is the worldwide leader in live internet talk radio visit voiceamerica.com the views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the voice america talk radio network its staff and management